Welcome to Biohacking with Brittany. Thank you for joining me for another week. I am currently off and off work, I guess, and offline. I am in Tofino and Uclulet in Canada, which is on the Vancouver Island and it is on the West Coast. And it's a really beautiful, very nature, beautiful, beautiful spot. And so it feels phenomenal. <laughs> to be taking time away and time off. So much needed. And yeah, I can tell when I'm getting burnt out with work that I need time off. And I think that is a big part of running your own business and being an entrepreneur and always upgrading and doing new things. Is like when things feel like a lot and feel heavy, that's actually when you need time off. Or when things and decisions don't feel very clear. So right now I'm, you know, rebranding, I'm doing a new website, I'm bringing back my services in the fall and all of these things and I feel a little like foggy on some decisions that I have to make. And whenever this happens, I know that I am too close to the problem. I'm too close to the issue. So I usually need to take a step back, take time off and come back with a clear head and clear mind. And whenever I take time off like this, I feel like that. And usually I need about three days, at least two days to really, really unplug. I find the weekends, to be honest, and I don't know if other people feel like this, but I find the weekends are tough sometimes. I end up doing a little bit of work Saturday morning, a little bit of work Sunday, and I don't know. I don't know if it's because it's the nature of my business and it's so in, like integrated into my personal life or if that is just my own issue, <laughs> but it's something that I am thinking a lot about moving forward. I will say that during the pandemic, I definitely worked a lot. And even though like the pandemic, let's say like Loki ended last year in 2020, at least here in Canada, and things kind of went back to normal last summer. It has taken me a long time to kind of get out of the rut that I was in of like working on the weekends, staying home, being a homebody, not doing anything, not seeing friends. And it's taken me a full year to be social again and to have a life and to have boundaries and realize that the weekend is for my time off, you know, and it's still a struggle sometimes for sure. So if you feel like that, you are not alone because that is something that I deal with a lot. And I, I don't know if it's harder if you have your own business, maybe because it, it relies on you so much and it's so in your head all the time. It's always what you're thinking about and always thinking about what you have to do and what you have to get done. And the next steps and you go to bed and you're like thinking about, you know, next month, this is going to happen ne next year. This is going to happen, you know? So I just think maybe it's part of the game that, that you're in, but that doesn't excuse not taking time off because time off is really important for our mental health and our brain health, our physical health. It's important for our hormones and our stress management. It's really important for our relationships and to be able to spend quality time with friends and family is seriously, seriously, like cannot be understated. So I'm really happy that I get to take time off right now. And I'm also taking time off actually in September. I am driving down to California from Vancouver and it's going to be me, my husband and my dog. And it's my birthday in September. So we're kind of doing a little celebratory trip. And we are going to Napa Valley. And actually, by the time we get to Napa Valley, it'll be the first weekend of October. I think it's like October 1st to the 4th that we're going. And that will be the end of our cleanse that we're doing type of thing. So it's it'll be <laughs> perfect timing to drink wine again in Napa. And then we'll probably just start the cleanse again after that, to be honest depending on how things are going. But I think it'll be about 90 days by the time we are there in terms of being sober for 90 days. And also like 
no processed food, exercising every day, a gallon of water every day, low EMF and everything else that's like kind of in the cleanse that we're doing. So I'm really looking forward to that. We are driving. We're going to take, and I will talk about this trip more, but I haven't fully planned it out yet. So if you're listening and you actually have any good ideas to for stops, please let me know because I am taking the Pacific Highway. We are taking the Pacific Highway and we are going through Washington, Oregon, and down to California. We're going to go go to Palo Alto, a whole bunch of places. So if you have any recommendations, please let us know or let me let me know. I really want to explore and I really want to know like the healthy spots to go to. So we're definitely going to hit up some Trader Joe's, obviously. I really want to go to Erewhon. I've never been to Erewhon. I've heard so many good things about it. So I'm going to make that a stop as well. I know there's a bunch of biohacking facilities and like, I guess, like clinics or even spas in California that I would love to check out. So let me know. Um, and I'm super curious. Before we dive into this week's episode, a shout out to Armra Colostrum. Yes, I've actually started taking colostrum. This is my first time taking it. I was super curious about it when I first heard about it and how it basically works in the body. So colostrum is a whole food. It is not really a supplement. It's a whole food and it is the first milk that comes from mammals, including humans. And so when you take it as a supplement, it usually is bovine based. And that is the one that I'm taking. So I'm taking the Armra Colostrum, their new performance revival one, and it's chocolate flavored. So this is a fantastic whole food, like I said. It has a bunch of different functional nutrients in it, actually over 200 ones, which is really cool. And it really just helps to rebuild the microbiome and accelerate cellular regeneration and really just helping to repair tissue. A lot of people really swear by colostrum for gut health. So if you are kind of looking for something like that or something to support in your performance, definitely check this out. I'm super excited to be using it. I take about two scoops a day right now, but you can take up to five because again, it's a whole food, right? So it's not a supplement. It's not like you can overdose on it, nothing like that. So definitely check that out if you are looking for something to help with performance, help with gut health. Also a whole food. If you're one of these people who only takes whole foods, which I get, you definitely need to add colostrum to your regimen. I will link it in the show notes. You can use my discount code BiohackingBrittany in all capitals and definitely check it out. And a shout out to Nochi, which is spelled N-O-O-C-I. I have been working with them. I really like them. They are a traditional Chinese medicine company. And they just specialize in making traditional t- Chinese medicine like TCM super accessible to everybody. So they take the traditions and ancient traditions and they modernize it into supplements. And I really like their one that's geared towards menstruation. It's called New Moon and you take two every single day and it's got different herbs in it that help your menstrual cycle. So helps with PMS, helps with regulating your cycle and is filled with things like ginseng and rose and ginger and is very, very natural. So that is one of my favorites. Again, link to my show notes. My discount with them is Biohacking Brittany 2 as well. Not 2, but like it's also Biohacking Brittany. And last but not least, Bioptimizers. So traveling here to the coast, well, I'm always kind of on the coast, I guess, but I definitely bring my bi-optimizers supplements with me, especially the digestive enzymes. So if you are somebody who will occasionally eat ice cream or fried food or, you know, a pizza, whatever it is, uh, something with like maybe gluten and dairy in it, that it can be inflammatory for a lot of people, just add some digestive enzymes. I'm not saying don't eat it. You do you, but the digestive enzymes really, really reduce the significant load on the body. It reduces how much stress you kind of go under when you're eating those things. Because essentially these enzymes go into your gut, they help digest the food and they're like catalysts, right? So 
whenever I have anything like that, I always, always take digestive enzymes because they are so helpful, like so helpful. Mind you, I'm not eating any of that type of food right now, but when I have in the past, that is what I do. And then I also bring B magnesium with me just to help with sleep. Although I usually sleep really well on vacation, but I think it's just really important to make sure that I do. And so definitely check that out. Thank you for listening to this episode. All of the links are in the show notes and on my website, biohackingbrittany.com. I literally have so many brands on there. If you're like into any type of wellness, health, or biohacking company, like just check there because if you want a discount, that's where they are. And honestly, I was actually thinking about this. Like when I go to buy other things as well, like it's really difficult to find these like influencer or creator discount codes unless they're in like honey, but a lot of people take them off of honey, which is like an automatic discount code generator extension for your browser. If like a lot of companies take them off there. So my thing is, is like, how am I supposed to know? Like, I want to buy this one product. I would love 10% off. What do you mean? Of course I would. So I really struggle to find the people who say, who kind of like have these discount codes. So always just check or always just DM me and ask. Chances are I have something that is going to be beneficial for you. So enjoy this episode with Lifestacks. We get into MCT oil and MCT powder and really how we can supercharge our day using natural ingredients. We talk a lot about personal health journeys. And we actually talk a lot about diabetes in this one too, which I found was very, very interesting because that's not my area of expertise, but to learn more about it was really cool. So we talk a lot about blood sugar, glucose monitoring, everything like that. So enjoy this episode and stay tuned for another one coming on Friday. Welcome to Biohacking with Brittany. I am so thankful that you are joining me this week for another episode. Today, we are going to take a deep dive into all things MCT, and I have Zach Schreier joining me from the brand Lifestacks MCT. We're going to talk about his health journey, the world of health, I mean, probably nutrition and keto and all the trends as well. So Zach, welcome to Biohacking with Brittany. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Brittany. I'm glad to be here. So I always love to hear people's personal health stories, especially when they start a supplement or a health company like you have. Can you kind of take us back to the beginning when you first realized that health needed to be more of a priority for you? Yeah, of course. Uh, So my health journey started a bit early. In sixth grade, I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. And basically, type 1 is effectively when your immune system attacks your insulin-producing cells in your pancreas. And you go from having this sort of automatic blood sugar management that most of us take for granted to actually being required to attend a blood sugar basically all hours of the day, anytime you have a carb, anytime you do activity, you have to worry about that. And one of the things you pretty quickly discover is that um, everything you do basically impacts blood sugar one way or another. So from hormonal fluctuations in the morning to any carbs or even protein or even fat that you eat, you'll see impacts on blood sugar, even to things like stress levels, even to the intensity of exercise. So exercise isn't one thing. It's if you go uh, for a long, slow run, that might have one impact on your blood sugar. And then, uh, you know, interval training might have a different one. And so kind of, I became immediately aware of just how intricate, you know, our bodies are. And so I started, yeah, that's how things started. I guess I'll pause there and let you ask any questions. Yeah, that's interesting. I don't know a lot of people who have type 1 diabetes. I actually don't even know a lot about it. I know that is the one that you typically get during your childhood. Is that like, is you were 11, right? Is that the typical age that people find out that they have that? Yeah, don't quote me on this, but I think it used to be around 13 or 14. And now it's closer to 10 or 11. Because you know, it's supposed to it's supposedly a hereditary disease. And that's what I was told. Like, you know, when I was diagnosed, I was told it had nothing to do with my lifestyle. And it was just something that kind of onset, it was a genetic predisposition, and then some sort of viral infection triggered the onset. And then while I had diabetes, and no matter what, I was going to get it. This, this data that diabetes is setting on earlier, and earlier in kids, actually indicates that there might be some environmental impact that is causing or contributing to the onset. And so it might have to do with toxic load, for example, or kind of the lower quality nutrition in our food, things like that. But I think it is the case that one way or another, if you're predisposed to it, you're going to end up getting it at some point. Um, I've heard 
for some people is as late as like 40 years old, you might actually end up getting juvenile diabetes. Wow. Okay. That is so interesting because obviously we know, and a lot of people know listening that type two diabetes tends to happen when you're older. It tends to be a result of lifestyle factors. Maybe you haven't been taking care of yourself super well, however you want to interpret it. And I always thought kind of like you just said that type one, you're born with it, no matter what you have it, and there's nothing you can do. But now you're saying that it actually could be a similar situation as type two. Yeah, it could be. You know, I think the case is that it's a little more predetermined than type two, but the, the question of when you actually have the onset. So it's, you know, the onset is a pretty acute period. I went from being like a healthy sixth grader, say in March of, I think, 2010 or 2011. Uh, I should know that. I think it's 2010. And then a month later, I had lost 35 pounds. I was super weak. People were telling me I looked really terrible and I needed to go to the hospital. And then uh, on the final day, I like got really, really sick. And that was kind of the final straw. So it's pretty rapid. And basically that onset is, that's the time at which your immune system basically does this sort of attack on the insulin producing cells in your pancreas. And it's like pretty rapid. You go from producing 100% of your insulin to like 5% over the course of that month. Wow. That is so interesting. Yeah, I guess. So I guess my understanding of type one was like, it was much earlier than that, like early childhood, let's say under seven, like I thought it was, yeah, just kind of from the get go. But it's so interesting that there's this rapid decline. And it's almost like this event that happens that your body suddenly turns on itself. And autoimmune, as you know, I'm sure you are so researched in this space now, but autoimmune is a massive issue for a lot of people, however it might appear. And it can be very discouraging and debilitating for people because I think what I've read as well is that if you have one autoimmune condition, you're typically predisposed to having other ones as well. Have you kind of seen that or experienced that yourself? Yeah, I've I've heard a lot about that. And one of the questions that doctors would ask of me early on was whether I had other autoimmunity in the family. And it turns out we do have some. My sister actually has a a mutation of the cystic fibrosis gene. And fortunately, her life expectancy is not shortened because it's it's just sort of a variant, a more benign variant. But she does have symptoms from that. And that is autoimmune. And my other sister also has some stuff. And my, my mom has some stuff. So I think there is a sort of a relationship between all these different diseases. For me, fortunately, I don't have any other sort of like comorbidities, I guess you'd say. I'm otherwise pretty healthy. You know, I think maybe my immune system is a bit strong, which, you know, sometimes is a good thing and sometimes it's a bad thing when it when it turns on you. Um, but yeah, I'm pretty blessed that, you know, this is the only thing I've got. And so far, modern medicine has made it possible for me to manage it and live a normal life. Yeah, that's so interesting. Do you think as you get older, you might be predisposed to like older autoimmune issues that kind of happen in like elderly populations type of thing? Yeah, pr- probably I would be. Although the thing I, that worries me the most about just sort of aging, given the diabetes history, is with diabetes, you have more cardiovascular strain kind of around the clock. Like the blood sugar fluctuation leads to degradation of various proteins. Actually, w- one of the measures of diabetes control is the glycosylation of the hemoglobin, hemoglobin. And so you measure like hemoglobin A1C, which is basically a measure of how like defunct your hemoglobin are based on exposure to blood sugar. And like the higher your, your average sugar is, there's a direct relationship with the degradation of the hemoglobin. Unfortunately, there's turnover. So it's not like it's not like you only have a set amount of hemoglobin in your life and you know you just sort of use them up. But like I think it does represent basically the kind of cumulative damage to your proteins. Um, and so that is a worry. It does turn out that type 1s live about a decade less. Now that might be changing with modern meds. And obviously we don't really have a cohort study we can do from you know anybody that was diagnosed in the last 10 years and see how they how their life expectancy plays out, because obviously that takes a whole lifespan to, to measure that. But from studies of people in the 50s, 60s, 70s doing that kind of cohort analysis, you do see actually higher rates of cardiovascular disease and cancer. But you know, as I as I sort of alluded to earlier, I do feel pretty lucky that you know, I've got, I have this now because the modern healthcare around diabetes is just so much better than anything historically. And I think all these sort of lifestyle interventions in general contribute to longevity. And so I feel relatively lucky to be born now with all the knowledge we have. Um, maybe the, the only counterpoint is that the toxic load is definitely higher. And, you know, I think probably that does play into just overall sort of issues with hormones and even earlier onset cancer in some cases. And so that is something that we can't really control for. Like the environment is, uh, obviously you can't really insulate yourself from the environment in general. And you're exposed to the food system, you're exposed to the air, the water. 
But you know, the hope is that we can leverage some of these interventions to offset some of the harms that are inevitable. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Yeah, and there's like so much to unpack there. I'm curious before that though, do you, I'm sure you must, like I'm sure you must get your HbA1c and fasting insulin, fasting glucose levels checked often. Like do you, how do you do that? Or do you have a CGM? Like what's your method of, of tracking? Yeah, actually I do have a CGM. And so that can basically A1c is a kind of a 90 day measure of of average glucose, or you can, you can, well, as I said, it's, it's a constellation of the hemoglobin, but you can use it as a proxy for average glucose. And so I, you know, my CGM gives me kind of continuous estimate of my A1c. And then every three months I go and get a finger prick and get the A1c checked that way also. And, but I find that those are pretty well aligned. Usually it actually happens that my, my CGM estimates a slightly higher A1c than my actual measure does, which may, maybe that is, maybe that's just some discrepancy and so an error in the measurements from the, CGM, or it's possible actually that um, maybe I'm glycosylating less than I, than my average sugar would indicate for some reason. That's sort of endogenous to my my body. I, I don't know. Now, concerning fasting glucose or fasting insulin, fasting glucose, I actually don't get those checked because those are actually exogenously controlled. So that's basically up to me. You know, I'm responsible for doing all my insulin. So there is, you know, in the absence of my own intervention, there actually is no circulating insulin in my body. And so, but what I do keep track of, which is probably the equivalent thing in a non-diabetic is the amount of insulin I do. So I've seen reviews of longevity in diabetics that basically indicates that the quartile that does the least insulin over the lifetime actually has the best outcomes. And you know that's totally in keeping with what the sort of modern science is saying about insulin levels in metabolic health. And yeah, so for me, I just try and live a lifestyle that allows me to do less insulin. So that means basically controlling carbon take, you know, not, not having soda or anything like that, not having too many sweets, doing a lot of walking. So walking is my basically my best intervention for post-meal, running to keep insulin sensitivity up, uh, resistance training, although I do less than I should probably, and things of that sort, you know, keeping stress in check. Um, so all of those things, basically, if you manage those things well, you end up being able to do less insulin. And if, you know, your stress is high and you're eating sugar and you're not sleeping well, and you're not exercising, then insulin is definitely going to be elevated. You know that I seriously, seriously value the menstrual cycle and women's health. And I really care about helping women create more regular cycles, reduce their symptoms, and be able to just kind of live life easier and have more fun and not have to worry so much about these health issues that kind of plague a lot of women, including myself. So I've recently actually been taking a new supplement by a company called Nochi, and the supplement is called New Moon, and it is a supplement completely focused on menstrual support. It is rooted in traditional Chinese medicine and uses herbs like ginger, ginseng, and jujube that provide a ton of benefits, including relief from menstrual cramps, reduces bloating, helps ease PMS symptoms, and supports irregular cycles. I deal with all of that here and there. It always changes cycle to cycle, but I definitely deal with irregular menstrual cycles every single month or more than that, you know? So I really love using this product and I love using something that's rooted in nature, but also traditional Chinese medicine because as someone who does acupuncture a lot and really respects traditional Chinese medicine, I can see how it can play such an important role in our tools that we use to help heal. So if you're dealing with any type of PMS, irregular cycles, you need menstrual support, I really suggest this product. I'm not taking anything else like it. And it's really, really fantastic. So that is by No Chi. And that's the supplement called New Moon. And I will link it in the show notes. It's also on my website. Go for it. Try it out. Let me know what you think. You can use my discount. It's all linked right there for you. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. What range do you like your A1C to be at? Like what percentage do you like? Yeah, this is interesting too. You know, I think the non-diabetics in the audience, which I'm guessing is probably about 99% of people, the non-type ones rather, this is actually not applicable to that crowd because the considerations are actually different for type one and for regular folks when it comes to A1C. So for type one, it actually turns out there's really two two risks. One is slightly more acute and the other is more chronic. So for effectively, if I didn't do insulin, like if I didn't have this sort of modern medical interventions, basically artificial insulin, then my sugar would just climb and climb and climb until I was in a coma until I died. 
And so that was kind of the fate of diabetics before 1920, was that they would just have rising sugar and then die. And again, I'm talking type 1s. I'm sure somebody who had the equivalent of type 2 back then would be able to manage it with, with activity and with diet. But so now it's basically the task of the type 1 to regulate their blood sugar levels using the right amount of insulin. If you don't do enough, your sugar will rise. And if you do too much, your sugar will drop. And um, if it basically the acute is sort of more severe immediate risk is low sugar. So if the sort of healthy range for blood sugar is like 80 to 90 milligrams per deciliter of, of sugar, and basically, um, I guess just to give a kind of analogy here, let's say you're kind of a regular American, you have about 250 carbs a day. So that if you didn't have any insulin to buffer those carbs, at least it, for me, given my sort of sensitivity to carbs, that would lead me to have sugar of about a thousand at the end of the day, if I didn't have any insulin. So I would, if I just ate regularly, didn't do insulin, I would be in the hospital by the end of the day. Uh, so what that means is basically one twenty-fifth of my daily intervention is a fluctuation of 40 milligrams per deciliter of blood sugar. Now, if my sugar were 40 or 30 or 20, God forbid, I would be shaking. I would have a seizure potentially. I would pass out. And if it was 10, 15, that would probably be the end. And so that's a real severe risk. I almost say it's like flying a plane and you definitely don't want to hit the ground. Um, and so that's kind of the ongoing struggle and risk that a diabetic is exposed to, especially during nighttime, but it can ha- happen during the day during activity also that you would drop low and, and you know, rapidly enough that you, you wouldn't respond to it in time. Now, the other risk is going too high. And that's more of the chronic risk. That's got to do with like degradation of, of tissue over time. And now because the intervention that you do to control sugar is also one that exposes you to low sugar, it means that you don't want to over sort of overdo it with the insulin. You got to be really careful with that. And so basically it looks like for diabetics averaging like 6.0 to 6.5 is optimal because it just means you're, if you were any lower than that, probably you would be having a lot of low sugar and that would expose you to all the perils of that. So not actually not only the acute risk, but it turns out low sugar over time or excessively low sugar over time is correlated with like neurodegenerative disease as well, because the brain runs on glucose and having too little of it over time can expose you to those sorts of issues. And so, yeah, that, that's what you're looking for for a diabetic. But I think for the regular population, that would be considered pre-diabetic or type two if you had A1C in that range. And that's because, you know, your bodies are sort of controlled enough that you're not going to overdo it on the insulin to that, basically that access where you end up going low and having those sort of hypoglycemic episodes. So, uh, all right. Yeah. Long story short, it's different for me than for other folks, basically. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm glad you explained that. So for people listening who are not diabetic, typically normal res- results for A1C is about 5.7% or lower. I don't think that's necessarily optimal, but that's like what is quote unquote normal when you get tested. And then pre-diabetes is 5.7 to 6.4%. And then diabetes is 6.5% or higher typically. I like mine to be around 5.0%. I've had it at, I think, 5.2 before, but I really try to watch it for obvious reasons because it can have a cascade of effects if it kind of gets out of control over time. So that's something that I always just look at whenever I do these blood tests is I really do value the A1C test a lot. And I think a lot of people do as well. Have you heard, I'm curious, I'm sh- and I'm sure you have, have you heard about Alzheimer's potentially being type three diabetes? Yeah, I have. I think that's super interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I don't know where I first heard it from. It might've been someone like Ben Greenfield or something. And I think it was just kind of like what you were saying about how the brain runs on glucose and potentially, now I don't know a lot about this correlation, but I guess it's potentially if there's not enough glucose into the brain, potentially it can't function properly over time. And then it might lead to your brain not functioning normally. Do you know anything about how that might all work? Yeah. I mean, this is this is just a super tricky area for sure. Because obviously the body's quite complex and this is really the center of it. Like this is energy metabolism. So my roughly my understanding of it, and I'm just this is a very sort of heuristic view. This is not meant to be like a nitty gritty, like scientific explanation, but effectively when you have neurodegenerative disease, you can view that as a discrepancy between supply and demand of basically energy and materials. And so let's say you don't have enough choline or you don't have enough B vitamins or omega-3s in your life. 
over time, you're basically not going to have the materials you need to build healthy tissue. And so you're going to have a discrepancy that forms between the sort of the neuro, neural function that you sort of demand and the neural function that you're, that's available basically uh, as a matter of these sort of shortage of materials. Now, similarly with energy systems, it takes a lot of energy for the brain to run. I, th- I think it's like, I think 25% of our daily calories go to the functioning of the brain. And it's, it's you know, ongoing, like it, it never stops. And so the brain is this very metabolically hungry organ. And I think just broadly, the way to think about it is that metabolic health will directly impact the health of the brain over time because its proper functioning relies on the proper utilization of energy substrates. And so I think it's almost like now you'd say, okay, well, great. Let me just have as much sugar as possible. So my brain always has enough sugar. But the issue is that in the presence of excess of sugar, metabolism will actually degrade over time. And I think uh, it's Stephen Gundry that calls this a traffic jam in certain cases. Like if you have too much fuel, metabolism, metabolism will get overwhelmed, like mitochondrial function will decrease over time. And so you actually want to basically just make sure that you're generally kind of metabolically fit, and that's going to support long-term brain functioning, in addition to having all the necessary nutrients. So what I named already, choline, omega-3s, B vitamins, but it's really the whole slew of things. Like you don't want to be, you don't want to be short on any of the essentials. And even the category of sort of like longevity nutrients that aren't on the FDA label, that's also important to consider. So you definitely want to have enough like lutein and zeaxanthin and polyphenols over time as well to ensure proper neurological functioning. Yeah. I just, I find it so interesting. My, my husband's grandmother passed away a couple of years ago from Alzheimer's and there were other complications as well. And I remember knowing this back then and thinking about like type three diabetes and how it can correlate and potentially inflammation. And I think I might've said something to my, I guess my father-in-law now, just something rough about it, but I, I didn't know enough to really educate and like really make any type of claim. And even like you said, like it's such a new area of research right now, kind of understanding this correlation that like, we can't really say a lot, but something that I struggled with was like, if you were to think of Alzheimer's as a type three diabetes and look at it in that lens, it changes the narrative because now you're saying the decisions that you've made over the last 30 years, however long, how many years you want to look at, have actually really impacted whether you got this or not and the severity of it and the decline of your brain health versus I think the current narrative with Alzheimer's is like, this was going to happen. There's not much you can do. It's kind of out of your control. And it's hard when you talk to a gen, at least I find when you talk to somebody who's not as into health and you kind of look at it as like, actually, you had a lot to do with this. Do you know what I'm trying to say? Like, it just changes the narrative. And a lot of people almost like don't want to take that responsibility on. And they'd rather just be like, oh, no, this was going to happen. It's genetic. There's nothing I can do. Hello, it's Brittany here. And I've got something life changing to share with you. Sleep is crucial for our productivity, well-being and beauty, right? No one wants to wake up with dehydration lines and dark circles. That has definitely happened to me. Picture this, you wake up feeling refreshed, your skin is glowing, yes, get it, and those pesky dehydration lines and dark circles, they're nowhere in sight. Sounds like a dream, right? Well, I'm here to tell you that it's not only possible, but it's also within your reach. I used to struggle with falling asleep. There was a time when getting a good night's sleep felt like chasing unicorns, Tossing and turning, waking up multiple times and feeling like a zombie the next day. Seriously, that happened to me for a long time until about 2019, 2020, when I started biohacking my sleep. But then recently it started happening again. And I actually uncovered the ultimate secret that's really been helping me. And that is magnesium breakthrough. It has completely transformed my sleep and got me sleeping so good again. So what's important to know is that not all magnesium supplements are created equal, so don't waste your time with over-the-counter options. Magnesium Breakthrough is the real deal. It combines seven different forms of magnesium in a single capsule, giving you the full-spectrum magnesium experience you need for optimal results. So here's my nightly routine that I've been doing. I take two capsules of Magnesium Breakthrough with water about an hour before bed. The effects are remarkable. I drift off faster and enjoy deeper, more rejuvenating sleep. 
And then when the morning comes, I wake up feeling refreshed, energized, and ready to conquer the day. And I wake up at 5 a.m. So I'm not messing around, okay? I need my good sleep. So say goodbye to restless nights and tired mornings and unlock your best sleep with magnesium breakthrough. Ready for my offer? Visit magbreakthrough.com slash biohackingbrittany and enter the code biohackingbrittany for a discount. We love discounts. Remember, this offer is only available on this special website. So if you go to Bioptimizer's normal website, it's not going to happen. It's not there. So don't let sleepless nights hold you back any longer. That's magbreakthrough.com slash biohackingbrittany. Use my discount code biohackingbrittany to save and let me know how your sleep is going. For sure. Yeah, I totally understand that. There's... You know, I think for all these things, there's definitely a confluence of factors, and some of them are out of our control, like genetics, for example, and many of these environmental factors. And let's say, you know, in the limit, the environmental factors are actually in your control. So like you can you can get up and move to the middle of nowhere and and basically get out of this food system and out of the sort of environment that's exposing us to all these things. But ultimately, you we're economically dependent on each other. And so it's like, I think there are a lot of things that, you know, it'd be amazing if we could take those things in, in our own hands and make those sorts of decisions, but we really can't. So I think the best we can do is basically do all the kind of interventions and sort of general lifestyle decisions that promote long-term functioning. Unfortunately, health is health. It's not like there's, you know, of course, there, to some extent, there's separate health for each organ, but generally like all of the same things that make your heart healthy are going to make your brain healthy, are going to make your mitochondria healthy. And so I think it doesn't have to be this like, like this crazy laundry list of things you do each day, I think that's actually a pretty simple list. Like you want to ensure adequate nutrition and not excessive nutrition. You want to sleep really well. You want to control stress. You want to exercise. Ideally, you would walk around and stand as much as possible and sit as little as possible. You want good social relationships. You want time in nature. You know, I think it's not that extensive. And all those things, of course, there are going to be, you know, unfortunate cases where people do end up just sort of suffering as a result of of the confluence of, of genes and environment, even when they do all the right things. But I think generally, like that relatively s- small subset of things is going to go a long way for everybody. Yeah, I I love that you said that. I think it's interesting that it, these lifestyle diseases are increasing, but the solution that you gave is so simple. And also it's not revolutionary. It's not like something that we just discovered three years ago. It's like, no, just live a healthy, balanced life. And why do you think like so many people struggle to do that in society now? Like, is it just because of modern living and like the way that our society is structured, especially here in North America? Or like, why, like, why do you think it's such, it's so hard for so many people? Yeah, I think, I think it is basically the way society is structured. You know, I think it's been trending this way for a long time also. Like it's just, we, I guess one thing is, I'm sure this is going to sort of ring bells from like history class in eighth grade listeners. But like we heard about like the Malthusian trap where the concern was we were not going to have enough food. We're not going to be able to produce enough food to service the growing population. And so there was some worry that there would be starvation and a massive population collapse. And obviously that didn't happen. Like, you know, I think that was probably when we had like 100 million people on earth and now we have 8 billion people. And so obviously we've scaled, but the way in which we scaled is by scaling up our manufacturing processes. So now... 2% 2% of Americans are responsible for food production. Uh, I think that's farmers and agriculture generally. And so, you know, obviously we're not dedicating that significant portion of our total resources to producing food and we've got enough of it. I mean, distribution is a different question, but in terms of sheer food produced, we've got enough. And so, but that's relying on these sort of industrial processes. And so we're figuring out how to produce as much corn as possible with as little effort. And that involves all sorts of tricks that might be degrading the quality of the food and soil depletion and all that. And that's irreversible because we want to be able to, you know, obviously we're not going to say, okay, what we're doing right now is not good. And so we're going to stop making as much food and not be able to service the entire population. So I think there's certain things that are kind of just, we kind of signed up for them accidentally by going down this path and scaling up our societies. And that's inevitable. Like I think if you sample all the civilizations from everywhere in the universe and all possible universes, you're going to find that at some point there's more and more people serviced by industrial food economy like this and the health is going to degrade. More people are going to be living sedentary lives, doing knowledge work, and and they're going to be lonelier over time. They're going to be distracted by media and you know not socializing in a way that is going to nourish them, nourish their souls, really. So I, you know, I think a lot of a lot of this is kind of inevitable, and I wouldn't sort of blame us for it. I think we kind of got put into the situation, and it's been progressing this way for a long time. 
But, you know, ultimately, we each inherit our own bodies and our own situations. And it is up to us to do with them the best we can. And so that means figuring out what aspects about our life we can kind of reverse. And and I think food quality is really important to pay attention to, as we talked about, and, and exercise, of course. And maybe a big it's kind of hiding in plain sight that we're interacting less than we used to. And I think as it happens, having a vibrant social life is actually more important than not smoking. So I think that's probably the most important thing wow. we can do. And but yeah, I think it's, yeah, this is just kind of what happens at the stage of civilization, I think. Yeah, that's crazy that a social life is more important for your health and not smoking in terms of like what stress factors and like inflammation? Yeah, I think I, so I think overall longevity, I think the study I saw was that a 30 minutes of walking in nature each day has a more positive impact on longevity than smoking each day has a negative impact. We've been told to focus on things like that, which totally makes sense because obviously nobody wants lung cancer and endothelial damage and all that. But I think also kind of like the some of the more intuitive things, like just being happy, actually, they benefit longevity even more than some of these other interventions. Yeah, it's so interesting you say that. I really, so I am such a big believer in like nature healing and nature therapy and everything like that. But I also really do value being social and having friends close by. I don't have any family that lives close by, but definitely have like a friend group. And a lot of the time, so I'm just outside of a big city here in Vancouver in Canada. And we are always kind of like looking at houses and I'm kind of like, I'm always on the fence of like, do I move out into the boonies somewhere to like a little remote beach town that the houses are so much cheaper. And I'm just like in nature, there's no like less EMF, less 5G and just have like nature therapy, like just indulged and like in my life all of the time, but have basically no social life and be starting again and have no friends. Or do I stay closer to a city and have those friends and have that social life, but be bombarded with more EMF and more radiation, traffic, pollution, everything that comes with that? And I don't know what the answer is because I don't know health-wise what would be better over time. Is it the nature, but you have no friends? (laughs) Or is it the city, but you have friends? You know what I mean? I have just started taking Armra Colostrum and I am so excited about it. Colostrum is a whole food. It is not a supplement. It is not something that is, you know, only has one nutrient in it. It is a whole food. This means it has over 200 functional nutrients in it that really support your body. So they just came out with a new product. It's called Performance Revival, and it strengthens your immune fitness rebuilds the microbiome and accelerates cellular regeneration by refueling lean muscle and repairing tissue. It instills whole body re-strengthening for your elite health. I am so obsessed with taking this Armra colostrum. I take two scoops a day right now, but you can take as much as you want. Again, because it's a whole food, it's not a supplement. There's no chances of you overdosing or anything like that. This really just supports performance and really helps with your gut health. A lot of people swear by colostrum because of all the different benefits in it. And I completely agree with that, especially because it has so many bioactive nutrients in it. So it's chocolate flavored. It's super easy to drink. I just add a scoop to my water, mix it up, have at least two a day and really do feel a difference. As someone who has had a lot of gut health issues over the last you know, 10 years, something like this is really important for me to use. And I love that their new performance revival really supports performance and athleticism as well. So it's great for endurance. It's great for stamina, and it really just helps with cellular functioning in general. If you're somebody who really values whole food supplements rather than just taking a single nutrient, Armora Colostrum definitely has to be on your list for that. So check it out. I will link it in my show notes. You can use my discount code BiohackingBrittany for 10% off. And I really suggest you start as soon as you can just to start supporting your health in a very whole and natural way. Yeah, that's really hard. I mean, I think there isn't an answer and there's just sort of 
trade-offs associated with each one. But you know, I, I'm I've got the same sort of temptation. Like I actually right now I'm living a fairly like reclusive life, you know, outside the city. And I in part that's just so I can kind of be like more distraction free. And but also I do feel better when I'm like surrounded by trees, that's for sure. But uh, I guess one one thing I was thinking is maybe cycling those things. So like I think a, a lot of these interventions are like are actually pretty effective when done intermittently. So like pro- probably most people that are listening sometimes in, in, indulge in alcohol. And I think probably the key is just not to do it every day and to like minimize use so that you're not like feeling terrible after you do it. Like maybe just two, three drinks, that kind of range just would be appropriate, like, you know, once a week. And, you know, probably people like Andrew Huberman would say, just don't do it at all. But ultimately, I, I think many things are fine in moderation. And then similarly, many interventions are quite effective when done intermittently instead of basically like chronically. And so I think sometimes getting in nature is like a really good thing to do. Sometimes being in a city and feeling that bustle and, you know, socializing is also really important. Sometimes like enjoying food and not worrying about the diet or whatever, also helpful and part of a balanced life. So I I think that's probably the way I would trend is like, I would love to be able to kind of like retreat to the countryside, but also kind of be in the mix with friends and, and more activity sometimes too. Yeah, it's tough. It's easier to cycle things like, you know, nutrition and alcohol, but When you're looking at trying to cycle something like where you spend your time and you live, it's obviously requires a lot more planning and a lot more thought. But I always say like there's a balance between isolation and solitude. And if you go one way too much or the other way too much, it's not going to be super great, especially at this point of time in my life. Like if I was retired in my 60s or something, like I would probably feel very different about this conversation. I would probably be like, get me away from everybody. (laughs) I'm good. You know, like I've had my, I've had my fill, but right now it's just a little different. So yeah, I hear what you're saying. I definitely hear what you're saying. And both my husband and I, we work online, so we can actually work from anywhere and it's, it wouldn't really impact our success. So that also has made us, it's been great. I know I'm going on a tangent here, but it's been great, but also difficult because technically it's kind of like, oh, you could move and live anywhere. So where do you want to go? And you're like, oh, I have too many decisions now. I'm just going to stay right here (laughs) and not make a decision, you know? Totally. Yeah. Well, I feel that a lot actually. Mm -hmm. But well, I guess we'll see how it all plays out. Yeah. And we'll see, especially with like kids and stuff like that ends up happening. I'm interested in your daily routine as somebody who is obviously so health conscious. Are there specific things that you do that you don't see a lot of other people doing? Or are you just doing like the simple solid things that we talked about? Nature, exercise, hydration, nutrition? Yeah, that's a good question. I think I'm doing pretty simple things. Maybe the biggest thing where I'm an outlier is just basically how much I move. I've averaged probably 20,000 plus steps a day for three years now. And maybe 10,000 of those are running or actually sometimes less even like that would be like an hour running for me. And so that equates to like three and a half hours of being on my feet walking around each day. Now the way I, I pull that off is I'm also sort of remote and I'd say a good hour a day is spent talking to my business partner or sort of talking to talking to people like on intro calls and things like that. And often I'm just like, hey, sorry, I'm on the move. You know, I'm, I'm audio only and I'm just walking around. And then also, you know, I, I find like I can be more productive if I have like a, a task I need to think about. I'll just like take my phone, my notepad, and like I've got my prompt at the top and I just kind of spend an hour walking around taking notes and thinking. And so, yeah, I think that's probably a staple for me that that's been very helpful for like managing insulin levels and just overall sort of health and happiness. But otherwise, in terms of routine, I guess my routine fluctuates a good amount. And, you know, I'm only a couple of years out of college now and I'm a business operator. And I guess sometimes it feels like I own the business and sometimes it feels like it owns me in terms of like time management and, you know, just interfacing with it in general. And so that, that leads to a lot of fluctuation. But I mean, actually, I'll just walk through my routine a little bit. I'm one of those sort of historically one of those kind of night owls. I'm like a more kind of like like late night thinker types. And so these days I'll wake up at like 9, 9.30, sometimes 10. And I'm very strictly like eight hours of sleep. You know, I'm not one of those people that will set an alarm just to start my day. Like I, I sort of view rest as the start of the day and being well rested is like a crucial input to a productive and happy day. So I wake up at this point, I, I'll go outside first thing, get some sun. Actually, right now I'm taking NMN in the morning. Yep. And probably I'm a little too young for that, but it does make me feel good. And so I'm, you know, I take 250 milligrams from Nootropics Depot each morning. Then about 30 minutes of the day, I'll have a cup of coffee with Life Stacks, and I can 
speak more to that if you'd like. But that's just a really nice way for me to have like a solid set of focused hours without a crash. And actually, I'll fast thereafter. So I don't really eat in the morning, not usually until like 1 or 2 p.m. Usually, I'll break my fast with like greens powder, fiber in that powder, and then eggs. And then post the eggs meal, I'll have D3K2, fish oil, and then kind of I cycle from there. But like right now, I'm trying out Sistache tubulosa and also pomela, which is like this pomegranate extract, which like is really good for inflammation and also like, like a, a more clear mind, I find. And then I'll do more work in the afternoon. I like running before dinner. So that's typically my like my time for getting in a 30 to 90 minute run, usually 30 if I'm going easy, and then not, you know, up to 90 with a with some sort of session in it, some sort of stimulus. And then dinner, which is where I typically have my carbs. Like I find for me, like one metaphor for diabetes that I've, I mentioned earlier is kind of like you're trying to fly a plane kind of smoothly without going too low or too high. And like the fewer carbs I have during any period of time, the less kind of turbulence there is, you know, the less is interfering with that steadiness. And so I like to kind of, you know, get my, get most of my day with, without the interference from carbs. And then around dinner times when I'll have my carbs. And I guess, let's see, maybe I'll mention, uh, I'm not sure I should say this so just in case any investors are listening, but I have found personally that a little bit of pot, you know, like literally, literally a little bit, not enough to like get me couch locked or anything. I find that to be like an evening nootropic. And so at this point, I'm doing it like once a week, but maybe it was more historically. But I, I do that and I spend an hour or two like just thinking thoughts, you know, no phone, no media, no, no anything besides just like basically walking around, taking notes, thinking about things. And I, I, honestly, I'm not sure what sort of life I'd be living if I didn't do that some, somewhat over the last few years, because I feel like it sort of opened up my mind philosophically. And I, I really would say like, I feel like my sober self in certain ways takes its cues from those sorts of thought, thought sessions. But actually, I guess I'll say for those investors who are listening that at this point now, I'm sort of, I feel like I've done enough kind of R&D and divergence in that way, like a really fuel divergent thinking. And now I feel like I, I kind of have my mandate and I need to get really serious about just like executing. And so for me, that means pulling back a little bit from that sort of vice and kind of just focusing on getting more stuff done and feeling fresher each day. Yeah. I mean, you're doing a lot. I don't know. I think you're in your 20s by the sounds of it. Like, so am I, but I'm 29. And I think like you're probably what, early 20s, maybe mid 20s or something. I, you're doing a lot for somebody who is in that age range because when I was healthy at that point, for sure, but not nearly as healthy as I am right now. And I was, but I guess it's different. You know, we're like, we have very different pictures of health and the different health concerns that we've been through. Yeah, that's a lot. And 20,000 steps a day average is nuts. I Do you ever take rest days? Do you ever just spend days like on the couch, letting your muscles and your body recover? Or what does that look like? Don't you get tired? You know what I mean? Yeah. I, like I started this like directly post-graduation. So like summer of 2021 was when I kind of made a concerted effort to like just move more. It wasn't, you know, I, I've been, a, I've been a, a, from, I guess, about age 13 to 19, I'd say running, like distance running was kind of like my like number one priority, basically. Like I, I was, you know, I was obsessed with mileage and recovery. And yeah, I didn't have a drop of alcohol during that time, basically, because I just viewed it as, you know, not compatible with my running goals. And then I spent about two years working on my first business and working on a thesis. And I was like, during that time, I sort of took up alcohol for social purposes and Maybe I was having more pot than I should have and not exercising as much as I should have, not prioritizing running, kind of eating worse than I would have. And so I, when I graduated, I was kind of feeling worse. Like I was just less fit and maybe had some weight I wanted to lose. And so at that point, I was like, okay, I'm just going to... Now I've sort of put the thesis behind me and now it's about kind of living my life, being healthy, and then taking that health and being able to use that as an input to being productive. So you know, I don't actually view those things as... you know, Maybe on any given day, like time spent focusing on health is like kind of pulls against time spent productively. But ultimately, I think the healthier you are, the more you're going to get out of yourself during any window of productive output. And so I sort of, I almost view it like the business needs me to be healthy so I can actually execute at a high capacity. And so, yeah, that was sort of the switch for me. So I guess for about two years and change now, I've been been doing that like 20,000 steps a day thing. Not, you know, it's not like I check my steps during the day. And I'm like, I haven't hit it. Plenty of days are more like 10 to 15. I'd say almost no days are less than six or seven. And honestly, it's like, I wouldn't feel good. I don't think if I was just sitting on the couch, like I, my way of getting muscle recovery is having enough protein, sleeping, and maybe enough, actually, this is one other intervention that I sort of flag 
that maybe makes me an outlier in terms of time spent doing this. But my piano teacher in high school actually exposed me to this concept of trigger points and trigger point therapy. And so basically, as a protective mechanism in your muscles, you'll form these kind of these knots, these trigger points that are kind of like micro constrictions. And they basically prohibit movement so you can actually recover. But the issue is your body doesn't actually release the trigger points automatically. And so by via sort of dynamics and consistent movement and things that produce blood flow, you can actually get your muscles loose again and resolve the trigger points. But in certain cases, they actually, that micro constriction festers and sort of disrupts the chemical environment around it and becomes like one of these sort of traditional knots that people think of. And what I found when I was in my sort of heaviest periods of running was that daily trigger point therapy was like crucial. Like I could run literally twice as much as a, in terms of weekly volume, if I was taking care of my muscles in that way. And so like this takes the form of the lacrosse ball on the hamstrings, glutes and TFL and rolling the ITs and use, using like a stick roller on the calves and a golf ball on the feet. So that was back in the day. And now actually I just take lotion and I go muscle group by muscle group and find all the spots and work them out. And Honestly, I'm doing it like twice a week right now. But if I actually could control myself as thoroughly as I w- would want, I would do. It. I would dedicate 30 minutes a day to it, like without fail, because it just helps a lot. Are you tired of feeling out of sync with your body's natural rhythm? Do you struggle with menstrual cycle-related issues like fatigue, mood swings, and bloating? If you're looking to optimize your health and well-being, look no further than the Ebb and Flow Cycle Guide. This comprehensive guide is designed to help you better understand and work with your menstrual cycle so you can improve your energy levels, reduce PMS symptoms, and gain a deeper understanding of your body. With in-depth information on each phase of the menstrual cycle, you'll learn how to adjust your diet, exercise routine, and self-care practices to better align with your body's needs. One of the biggest benefits of the Ebb and Flow Cycle Guide is its user-friendly format. The guide is easy to follow and provides clear instructions on how to optimize your health throughout each phase of your cycle. Plus, it's packed with valuable information and insights that you won't find anywhere else. So whether you're a seasoned biohacker or you're just starting out, the Ebb and Flow Cycle Guide is the perfect tool to help you optimize your health and live in harmony with your body's natural rhythm. And with my expertise and guidance, you can trust that you're getting the best information and advice available. So why wait? Head over to biohackingbrittany.com to get your copy of the Ebb and Flow Cycle Guide and start living your best life today. That's really cool. I'm so happy that you figured out a way to be able to, I don't want to say push yourself harder and better, which is like basically what you're doing. But be able to kind of perform better, however, not degrade your body and speed up the aging process, which a lot of athletes end up doing and a lot of entrepreneurs end up doing, right? Because you're running your own business, you end up burning out and you don't know how to balance out life. Like you don't know how to take time off. You don't know how to go to bed, but it sounds like go to bed early, I guess. But it sounds like you've really figured out what is important and it's tricky. Cause like, obviously I run my own business as well. And like, even this past weekend, I worked Saturday, Sunday, but I still like did a bunch of other things that really balanced that out. So it's, it's different when you're an entrepreneur, I find it hits different than when you work for somebody else and then you get burnt out from that. And I respect that you've taken the time to really figure out how to maintain the performance that you have, which is exactly why you develop Lifestacks MCT powder is for people to perform better without the crash and the high that typically comes from high carb foods or caffeine. Totally. Yes. Well, thanks for that segment. Yeah. I'd love to share a little bit about our MCT. So yeah, basically during college kind of for, for me, actually, because of both the athletics and the, well, the diabetes and the sort of philosophical aspirations, like I was just trying to have like, you know, mental states where I could think creatively about, about various problems. So just to sort of, I guess, just to flag a thing or two, like I really quite love the free will question. And I actually also love the question about kind of like maybe most broadly, what produces the particular flow of events that have led to our existence and then how can we take that set of explanations and kind of transpose it into the future so we know kind of how the future will be produced in the same way that the past and the present have been produced. Um, so yeah, really obsessed with that sort of question. And so I really wanted like things that would support cognitive 
health and focus in a way that wouldn't lead to long-term health consequences. So of course, if you take Adderall, then you'll be really focused and get stuff done and write a great paper and like it will feel good, but then you'll end up paying for it over the long run. And so I was not inclined to do that. And so I started looking into nootropics. I think people say nootropics or nootropics, things like that, but I say nootropics. And, you know, basically think, think essentially nutrients that fuel various neurotransmitter systems in, in ways that are actually nourishing rather than draining. And so like this would be like acetylcholine or alpha GPC for like the, the production of acetylcholine or tyrosine or phenylalanine for dopamine, things like bacopa to kind of maintain and optimize the serotonin system, rhodiola, which is kind of a more broad, broad spectrum adaptogen that is energizing and also seems to have an impact on dopamine and, and serotonin as well. So looking into this sort of thing, we pretty quickly realized we is now my business partner and I, he was just my best friend in college. And we sort of both shared this interest in athletics and daily performance, cognitive health, and longevity. And as we were looking into the stuff, we realized that healthy interventions typically are subtle. You don't, if you feel something as strong as Adderall, it probably isn't homeostatic. It's probably going to disrupt equilibrium over the long run. But if you combine a bunch of different interventions that all play a part in optimizing various neurotransmitter systems, then you can get a more robust effect in a way that's balanced and repeatable. And so we put together like a capsule that contained our favorite 10 or 11 nutrients. And that was, it was great. We called it flow and people really enjoyed it when they took it. But we, people were like, okay, but who are you? And why would I add another pill to my life basically? And so we were like, okay, you know, this format doesn't really encourage people to try it. It seems a little sketchier just because like it's a pill, right? And like only pharmaceutical companies are supposed to develop things in that format. And we sort of realized that. And then we were also hearing from customers that they love taking flow with their coffee. And that made perfect sense because we used L-theanine, which is great alongside caffeine. And we also used adaptogens like ginseng and rhodiola, which also work nicely with caffeine. People were saying like, I feel really smooth when I take this with coffee and I don't need as many cups of coffee. And so we sort of put those two ideas together. We realized that we would basically drive adoption and kind of optimize the use case by delivering nutraceuticals in a coffee creamer. And so that was the inception of our MCT product. We were basically delivering excellent, repeatable, effective nutraceuticals within a very healthy coffee creamer for daily energy and performance. And now the question of MCT. So why did we choose MCT? I can assure you it's not for, uh, it's not because it's cheap. You know, we, it's, it's definitely more expensive than using like a, a dairy base or sugar or something like that. The reason really is that we kind of in the service of long-term health and performance, we wanted the coffee creamer itself, like the base of the creamer, the thing that actually provided the, the texture and the flavor to be extra healthy as well. And so we chose MCT because it's, it's keto, it's vegan, very clean, no sugar, it's creamy. And actually, probably most importantly, it's got this ketogenic effect. So it's a really rapidly available energy substrate that basically raises ketones quite acutely. And so it gives this really nice, like clean, sustained energy feeling. Um, and so like that suite of things, the MCT, this really excellent stack of nootropics and the coffee together make for like really solid morning stack. So many of our customers like take a scoop of the MCT in their coffee first thing in the morning and many don't eat until lunch. Like it's a pretty great thing to fast with, or even if you do, you'll feel the energy benefits like of just having it in your coffee. Nice. I love that. Yeah. I've taken it. A few different ways. Like I've taken it with coffee, but I mostly when I have it, I actually don't have it with coffee. Like I will have it with like maybe a decaf coffee or with a tea or like something like that, just because I use it as like an afternoon pick me up because of, like you said, like all of the nootropics, adaptogens, everything in it that kind of supports brain health that I really enjoy it around like two o'clock when I can't have caffeine because I am sensitive to caffeine. So that is how like I fit it perfectly into my routine. Is that kind of what you see, I guess, like as how most people use it, like either one scoop in the morning with their coffee or as like a non-caffeinated afternoon pick-me-up type of thing? Yeah, absolutely. We are hearing a lot of that. We were surprised to hear like the diversity of things that people are doing with the MCT. So we formulated it for coffee because we just, we figured that the caffeine, it's kind of like a bring your own caffeine stack. Like many pre-formulated stacks will have caffeine in them because that's something that people generally feel acutely. But I think people are sometimes hesitant to add like extra synthetic caffeine to their diet. Like why? And so we, we thought like the pairing with your existing caffeine source was a good way to go. But actually, we've been hearing about people adding it to smoothies, to tea, actually to protein powder. And you know, a lot of people are using it that way in the afternoon, sometimes with decaf in the afternoon, but sometimes in these other formats also. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's really interesting. That makes a lot of sense. 
where do you think you guys, like your company will be going in the next few years? Because you have this one flagship product and you have a bunch of different flavors of it and they're all great, but will you kind of segue out of that or where do you think, yeah, where do you think you're going to go? Yeah, I, we, we, as I think we're really passionate product developers. So I had a company before this one, we made chips from egg whites, like a really healthy, keto, delicious chip. Also sort of related to my diabetes because it's like more convenient snack than regular potato chips with all those carbs. And, you know, that's my ammo. I just really love making stuff that like I'll enjoy and I'll enjoy sharing. And so probably even we've probably spent more time than we should have developing other products. Like, you know, with as a startup, like we have to focus. And so the MCT is kind of where, where the cash and where the energy is going at this point. But yeah, I mean, we've got a whole pipeline of things that are ready to go as soon as we get to that phase. So I guess I'll just mention a couple things, but I, I don't want to, I don't want to give away too much, but we've got an excellent electrolyte that's like really excellent for like fasting and fasting workouts. And I'm super, I've been wanting to bring that to market for a year now, but our, I think our advisors would encourage us just to stay focused for the moment. And they're probably right about that. And then we've also, yeah, I, I won't say too much else, but we, we are really interested in supporting health and performance really holistically. And so we think of all the different occasions during the day when we can introduce enjoyable, delicious, and healthy products. And so basically think of any occasion where you might basically have some sort of nutrition ritual around that. That's an occasion where we feel like we can come in and make a big impact. I like that. I like that idea a lot. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's just really helpful when there's companies like yours that are providing alternative solutions to whatever food ritual or event or thing that you're thinking of. Like, it's really nice to see healthier options coming out and and things that support that. It's even like the same with like how many non-alcoholic companies are coming out now with really great drinks that aren't super filled with sugar and carbs and everything like that. And like, I'm currently doing a like hundred day cleanse and it's so nice to be able to have like a alcohol-free margarita, but also that doesn't just totally destroy my (laughs) blood sugar like a lot of them do. So I think that's awesome. And I'm excited to see what that is as we move forward and as we progress. So if people want to reach out to you and try Lifestacks MCT, which I definitely recommend they do, I know you're on Amazon in the States and in Canada, right? Or um, so yeah, yeah, just Amazon in the States, but you can get, if you're in Canada, you can find us on lifestacks.com and we'll ship to Canada. Perfect. Do you think you're going to be joining Amazon Canada at one point? Yeah, I think, I think we will. We just actually launched Amazon this March. And so we've been focused on the US market because we definitely haven't saturated it, but I think it will make a lot of sense to go Amazon Canada in the near future. Yeah, I think so too. A lot of people, well, obviously, as you know, like a lot of people really just prefer to order directly off of Amazon because it's so fast and so easy. So I will definitely link that in the show notes for everybody. Definitely check it out either on your website or on Amazon. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on my podcast. I really enjoyed this and I think my listeners will get a lot out of it. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much, Brittany. Really, really enjoyed it. Thanks for listening to another episode of Biohacking with Brittany. If you're interested in finding the show notes or the sponsors for this episode, you can do so on my website, which is biohackingbrittany.com. Remember to follow me on Instagram where I'm most active. My handle is at biohackingbrittany. And if you're interested in working together and you want to email me directly, you can do that. My email is info at biohackingbrittany.com. And I look forward to hearing from you and having you tune in next week.